Hello, everybody, and welcome back to A Better Life podcast with uh, George and Steve. How are you, George? Fantastic. Thank you, Steve. Yes, uh, welcome back, everyone, to another episode, our second episode, for that matter. My name is George Cow, and we have Steve here talking about all things relevant for our past week. Yes. I First off, out of the gate, I have to say that I am amazed at the response. George and I have been talking about doing this for a long time, and we never pushed or took the extra step. I had all this equipment. I set it up, took a picture of it. George showed up, and then we put it together. But we got an amazing response. We got a load of downloads, probably more. If I said double, I'd be lying. We had way more downloads than I ever thought we'd have. And... I have gotten some comments, and I, maybe I should just address them. First of all, our email address, if you want to reach out to us, you have comments and you have things you want to say to us. It is info at abetterlifegs.com. That's A-B-E-T-E-R-L-I-F-E-G-S.com. Our Instagram now, I made these, and George was just commenting to me, why didn't I make them all the same? I have no idea. The Instagram is at a better life underscore podcast. X, formerly Twitter, which is what everybody, even the company says, formerly Twitter, when they post something, is at a better life GS. Facebook, you ready? It's a dot better dot life podcast. Who knew? And then we would also like you all to follow or subscribe on any of the major podcast outlets that you listen to your podcast. Cast. We have a lot with Spotify. George, most of our recordings were, our listeners were Spotify. Yeah, that, that's right. I think we launched right on Spotify first and it really took off surprisingly well. <laughs> and uh, I can only say thank you. Thank you again for everyone who supported us and given us so much positive feedback. Um, it really means the world and uh, we'll try to do our best. We will try to do our best. So just to be complete, um, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Amazon, iHeart, uh, Intune, and a load of other smaller ones. If you have any question about it or something you want us on, please send us an email and we will make sure we get listed on that. But we're on all the major ones. And that was the major list that I just gave you. Yes, Spotify was definitely the biggest hit of the time. The moment I got done editing it and posted it, Spotify approved it quicker than everybody else. There were a couple listeners right out of the gate, like I said. So it really caught us by surprise, but nice to have. We just, there were a couple things. We have, we did what we did last week. We had dinner. It was my turn to cook. And tonight we had habanero chicken, which is basically my habanero rub on chicken thighs. And then I also made drop biscuits and sausage gravy. Old school, half South, half barbecue, half Mexican kind of meal. It's something I make all the time. And I knew George would like it because it's definitely something he doesn't eat all the time. Yeah, I didn't like it, Steve. I loved it. It was this hodgepodge of a variety of different cooking disciplines. And it really just worked. Very surprised with the drop 
biscuit. That's my first time ever trying something like that. I had to ask a, a, a variety of questions to Steve because I'm not so familiar with Southern biscuits. But every time I've had it, it's been somewhat laminated and there's layers. So you pull off from the top and it's like this muffin top thing. But this particular biscuit that you made today was almost like a, it looked like a cauliflower head. And it crumbled and it was flaky, and but moist in the center, smothered with this delicious white gravy, the sausage. I notice it's a little bit different from what I've had before. I think most times I have it with a breakfast sausage, which is usually sage. But this, I detected fennel immediately. And you, you said, yeah, exactly. This is your take on a southern white gravy, if you will. I use Italian sausage and I go to the butcher and get the butcher's Italian sausage. So you have all the great, the great components in it rather than when you, a lot of times when you make sausage and I have a sausage machine, though I've never used it yet, but that day's coming obviously because we have a podcast now, (laughs) but you usually, if you're going to store it for a long time, you put a little pink salt in it, which is a preservative and just to kill all the bacteria in case there's some that form. But when you make them fresh and you're going to sell them that day or the next day, you can get by without doing that. And it makes a considerable difference because it's not really a, though it's called salt, it's really a chemical. And you know what the chemical is, George? I don't know it off the top of my head. No, I don't. And I have it right in the other room, too. I could just go get it. But anyway, butcher sausage with fennel. Once in a while, I actually use hot Italian sausage, which really changes it up again. But since we had habanero chicken, I thought that was the way to go. That was our meal. George was impressed. I don't know why. I make it all the time. It's a simple thing. I use chicken thighs. It's important that you elevate the thighs out of the pan when you cook them in the oven. So how is it made? Habanero chicken is just habanero peppers dried and and then ground, but you can buy it. You don't have to do what I do. And salt, pepper, granulated garlic, granulated onion, a little paprika, and some cumin. It's all I use in my rub, and I can push that on the internet, too, so you guys can see that. And I do it just like the way I do my barbecue. I, I take yellow mustard, and I rub it all over the chicken, and then sprinkle the rub on. So it adheres and causes, like, a little bit of crust when you cook it, and it keeps helps keeps the moisture in. Then I dry brine it for a couple hours or overnight, depending on how much time I have, and then just cook it at 400. I cooked it at 400, and it takes maybe 45 minutes on regular thighs with the bone. But that works. It tastes great. Less in the refrigerator, but it'll still be hot. You could try it out on somebody you work with and watch them, watch them squirm because... It is hot when you first get it. For some reason, my habanero powder, it's hot when you first eat it, but it dissipates real, real well. Matter of fact, I make it for a a restaurant up in Peekskill. He likes to use it in his restaurant when he makes wings. So I make it from him once in a while. And then we still haven't had the dessert yet, which is panna cotta. Looking forward to that. Yeah, and roasted strawberries, which are are a little different. Everybody makes them in a plan. If you make them in the oven, they've been better. They're macerated. Macerated with sugar. That's the right word. Macerated with sugar and then add a little vanilla in it and the strawberries become amazing. I always make a double batch because everybody always wants more strawberries. And big deal. You have a little leftover, you can put on a little vanilla ice cream, which I am going to start making ice cream for this podcast coming mm-hmm. up too. So that's all... All in the work. So we have a lot of things going on. I don't know. You want to start somewhere? 
George? That was a nice recap. It was always nice talking about what we were just ate. I'm looking forward to the panna cotta. I'm looking forward to those, the strawberry compote. And uh, yeah, let's see. So there were a couple of things, if you want me, there were a couple of things. Uh, I got a few questions and a few, there's about a couple of things. One of them, last week we spoke about WOHOP and I got a lot of emails and even phone calls about WOHOP. So what I didn't say is where it is. WOHOP is in Chinatown at 17 Mott Street. Um, it's been there forever. Matter of fact, what I didn't know, I had to look it up to check the address. I know how to get there. I just never knew what the address was. That it's the second oldest restaurant in Chinatown, which I didn't know. And you have to go down a long flight of stairs. It's in the basement. And also that it won the James Beard Award for American Classic in 2022. I didn't know that either. So I learned a few things when I looked it up. I urge you, they said business has been off after COVID than it is before. Actually, what the manager had said, it's been 70% off. I'm sure it's not that way anymore, but it's probably still pretty slow. The other thing that I got questions about from my good friend PLP, if you're out there, PLP, I don't want you to think I forgot you, is he asked me more about sourdough bread. And others have asked me about sourdough bread, and I wasn't maybe clear enough on exactly what it is. So sourdough, and strangely enough, I started making, how you start to make sourdough bread is you start to make a starter. And a starter is a natural, sourdough is a naturally living bread. It's different than commercial yeast, and it's used to make bread rise. It's a fermented flour and water mixture that contains wild yeast and good bacteria to rise. So the so you actually use just plain flour and plain water. Now, is it important that you use, I use bottled water from time to time because it doesn't have any chemicals in it. That may affect the bacteria growing, or I filter it and then use that water. And just remember, heat makes it go faster, so don't put it in a cold spot. And you can easily start with 100 grams of flour and 100 grams of water and start mixing it together. And after a while, it'll bubble. And every day you have to feed it. You take half of it out, you put 50 grams of water and 50 grams of flour in. Every day you change it. Every day you take half out and change it. It will expand. It will grow. It also produces uh, a, a tangy flavor and a slightly chewer texture to your bread. So um, wild yeast has more flavor than commercial yeast. Some bakers mix them together, use starter and yeast. Actually, most do. Or else starter takes a longer time to rise where you could get a quick starter that'll rise in a couple of hours Sourdough starter may take an entire night. Most people mix them together. Um, the only other thing in the bread, you obviously take the starter and you put more flour and more water to make a bread. You also have to put salt. Salt's in everything. Salt's in us. Salt's in is one of the most important things that give it flavor. The other part about salt is you have to make sure you don't use rock salt or anything large because then it doesn't really mix into the bread because it's not a, a very wet bread. And the more you learn about bread, you'll learn that hydration is everything. But hydration is a complicated issue, and for now we're going to leave that alone. So that's what I have. That's what I did. I have a starter. I always keep some in the freezer. I keep it frozen. And I take a chunk off and then restart right there. And 
I'm growing my starter. Hopefully, it's already bubbling. It's already fermenting. And hopefully, by next week, it will mature enough for me to bake a bread. And hopefully, next week, that'll be part of our meal. The second part of that is that I last week, right after our podcast, is I started brining a pastrami. George talked me into, forced me pretty much, twisted my arm to go. George knows a lot about quality quality things as being the connoisseur that he is. And he talked me into getting a brisket, a 17-pound brisket from Snake River Farms. I was going to smoke it, but those things take 20 or so hours, and I've lost my a little bit too busy for that. So what I did was I trimmed, the, I trimmed it down, and I separated the point, which is the top fatty part of a brisket, and the flat, which is the leaner part of the brisket. Like when you go in and buy pastrami and you'd be in a restaurant and they'll say, what do you want? The, a good deli, like Katz's, will say, what do you want, the lean or the fatty? The point is the fatty, the flat is the lean. When I do it, doesn't matter what it is. They both come out juicy. It's just the way it's done. I've been brining that with a mixture over the week and next Friday or next Friday, I'll pull it out, wash it off. I'll put a crust on it, which is basically made up of toasted black pepper, mustard seeds, and coriander that I take and toast and then put it in a grinder, a seasoned grinder, and grind them up and then apply them on the meat, which gives it a whole nother level of flavor. And it smells amazing. Matter of fact, in my apartment and all the apartments on this floor and some of the ones attached to the elevator all smell like it after the, after I make it. So that's on for next week. Hopefully we're going to talk about pastrami. We're going to talk about the sourdough bread this smoke and maybe a grilled cheese in there somewhere or something like that. Yeah, what do you we've think? Been, we've been talking about the new topics, grilled cheese, sourdough, maybe pizza. But everything comes down to fermentation, I think. I think that's going to be the main theme of our, our next podcast. And just to reiterate a little bit about fermentation, when it comes to sourdough, when it comes to a lot of these simple breads, it's, I believe, lactic acid and acidic acid. And these two elements, we're looking to lower the pH balance and create a higher acidic content, therefore pushing away um, potential foodborne pathogens that could ruin the food. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, our forefathers figured out that, yes, if you lower the pH balance and create a more acidic starter, that all the unnecessary bacterias would not propagate and you would have a longer lasting food. And I think moving towards a more artisan approach, getting away from mass produced, big, what's the word, corporate America big food companies were able to commercial right. commercial bread which is all made i years ago i used to represent the the bakers union and one of the things that the companies used to tell me was that it's so competitive that they can't afford to make bread the way they need to they use chemicals and our things we buy in the store now are completely made out of chemicals and not really the products i didn't mean to interrupt you george no not at all but it doesn't go bad which is Positive in one hand, but it's clearly a negative in the health conscious aspect of things. Yeah, it's it's a double edged sword here where we're looking to work in our busy work weeks and most people don't have time to hit the grocery on a daily basis and therefore you need something a little more shelf stable. The sourdough is 
really the answer once again. I I love sourdough bread. Every time I make it, the crust is incredible. I'll go more into it next week, but I place it in something to keep it moist because it's the moisture when you're cooking it that helps that crust actually get that crispy, crispy texture to it. And I remember the first time when we last week we talked about pulan. The first time I made it, it was so crispy. I took a bite into it and I broke my tooth. So I knew it was perfect. <laughs> There's so I wanted to bring up the big seasonal change that we we're experiencing. Right after we recorded our inaugural episode last week, the next few days I found myself waking up at 55 degrees in the morning. There's frost or Oh, I should say just condensation built up on the car, but what a surprise. And one positive thing I think that I can say is the menu selection in the area with the restaurants has significantly changed and shifted towards a more fall type of fare. I see a lot of duck. I see lamb. I see polenta. I see risotto, heavier, possibly stick to your ribs type of dishes, maybe some braised short ribs. Have been starting to come up on the menus, and it's really a probably the most dynamic change in the restaurant industry when we're talking about seasonal changes from summer to autumn. It's a big deal for a lot of kitchens to change up things, wine directors to change up the wine menu, and it's really a new face that restaurants have moving into third quarter. And you can tell the restaurants that really thought this out. You can see how they didn't just change what they make, but they changed the herbs they use. They changed the sides. They changed the meats. Um, that kind of change always reminds me of Italy when I was there, and that you can go from region to region, and they may you may have the same dish on the menu, but that dish has the herbs and spices from that region. And no other region. So everywhere right. you go, it all tastes differently. Yeah, we're in a way we're so fortunate that logistics is so good in our part of the world. But uh, when you go back to the old world, you rely on regionality and agriculture that you find maybe five kilometers away. the The amazing part of old world type of cooking is the fact that you rely on a day's walk distance to find what you need to cook and what you need to eat. True, very true, and it's one of those one of those things. I'm just going through my notes here to see if there's anything else from last week that people asked me. We talked about restaurants. We talked about our our favorite place to eat, and the only thing that using habanero made me think of is some Mexican local Mexican restaurants that I really like, and one of them is Vega, which is down the street and. George could talk about some restaurants too. Vega is in Hartsdale on Hartsdale Avenue, and their food is always fresh. I order it sometimes twice a day. I have it ordered because they make an avocado salad. Vega, it's in, on Hartsdale Avenue in Hartsdale. So Vega has just a great menu. They have these habanero wings. It's the first thing that made me think of it, and they're so good. But sometimes they're scorching hot which doesn't work well for work. But the rest of the time it's good and you have a drink, you're at the bar, it, it's, they're great wings. And also I love they have an avocado salad that has, you can get it either with a steak or um, skirt steak that's marinated. It's fantastic. 
also shrimp and also chicken. So I love it there. And the other one is a place in Scarsdale called Papajito. They have a great menu. The food's made with quality. The gentleman that owns the place's name is skipping by me at the moment, but it's definitely a place to try out. He has brisket chili that's scorching hot, good. A lot of different things. And even as simple as, like I said, like his chilies, everything there is just it's just great. Um, the fall brings me into soup noodles, noodle soup. We have ramen. We have Vietnamese pho. And I think it was the pho restaurant correct, on Central Ave that we love going to. Saigonese, I think, serves some of the best Vietnamese soup. And yeah, I oftentimes... For some reason, I always want to go on a Monday, and maybe it's because they're closed on Mondays that I want to go on Mondays, but <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful place. So if you've never been before, absolutely try their house pho, and the owner is very proud of his, what does he call it, the, the stew, the beef stew? Beef stew. That's what I get all the time. I'm sure that's what you get, too. Yes. So the beef stew has brisket, and I don't know, does it have short rib, too, or is it just brisket? I think it might be the short rib and brisket yeah. combo. So it's it's so good. It's like um, a crossbreed of a beef bourguignon with a regular uh, pho broth, and it's it's hard. It's got the hardiness, but also the the cleanliness. It's and tremendously flavorful. It's great. It's great, and you can get it egg noodles or rice noodles. I never get the. I get whatever the regular noodle right. is. Is it rice? I think the rice is the standard. Yeah, that's what I usually get. But I remember I used to go there with someone who always got egg. But I love that place. And you think you want to eat, try something else, and every time you go in, you look at the menu, and then you order the same thing you over just and remember. over again. Yeah. Your body remembers something that it loved, and it goes right back to it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, it's been a while. I think later on this week we'll have to stop by there. But yeah, these restaurants sometimes become a cyclical type of a treat. When the weather gets colder, you tend to lean towards a certain type of food. And I think a noodle, soup noodles are great. True. Another thing that I wanted to start talking about, and I don't know if George and I talked about it maybe briefly before we both sat down, was that uh, I have a movie fixation. Uh, I don't know what to say. And, and George will tell you that I have a movie fixation. And most of that, you come into my house and I have lobby cards from great movies all over the place. They used to be in my office, but I moved them when I moved in here. Mostly Martin Scorsese and I have The Godfather. I have I have some other things. but and That's for sure. Your love for the cinema is second to none. Tend to collect things and I'll buy my fair share of movies on Apple TV and whatnot. And I have a collection so my kids can pick up their iPad and watch the movies. And I thought I was excessive with maybe 150 movies in the library. Then Steve's, oh, what do you want to watch? One of these one of these days, and he started scrolling. And I think the number was like 2,000, 2,400 movies. 1,200 movies. Okay, half. I, I embellish a little bit, but 1,200 in his library. That is a significant number, people. Yeah, I have some favorites, though. I'm a big Stanley Kubrick guy. It's funny because you're saying things are around. There's an ashtray over by the television that I bought at a movie auction. And there's always been a rumor that NASA went to Kubrick after they filmed 2001 and whatever it was, 68. And that if the moon landing failed, they were going to use his miniatures 
to fake the moon landing so they could tell they can end the space race right then and there. And Kubrick's never spoke about that. Well, he's passed away now, but he never spoke about that. And he never denied it. And no one else actually, NASA, I don't think, ever really denied it either. And it's funny that he alluded to it a few times. And one of the times was in The Shining. And there's a documentary called Room 237 that's based on the symbolic nature of things inside The Shining, the masterpiece of horror movies. I don't like horror movies, but it is a masterpiece of horror movies. Everyone says that. And the child, the the main character, one of the main characters, the son, is wearing an Apollo 11 t-shirt, or sweater, that is, and throw it out there and rub your face in it that this happened. What's interesting is that when Kubrick finished 2001, he made a commemorative ashtray, and he only made a few of them, not a lot. I don't know how many he made, and he gave them out to souvenirs to people that worked on the movie. I bought one. And what's really interesting about it is that instead of putting the symbols on the ashtray that represented the spacecraft that are in the movie 2001, the spacecraft that are symbolized on the ashtray are all Apollo 11 spacecraft. The lunar lander, the Saturn V rocket. It's just peculiar. If that story was not true, that NASA went to him, why did he do something like that? Oh, that that's one of the great movie mysteries that'll never be answered. I spent a lot of time reading things that people wrote about him and some of the people, there's a couple documentaries out there about by people that work directly for him and they've never really been able to explain that. But Kubrick is definitely one of my ones. Let me, let's just do a little bit more footage on the earlier segment. So Steve, today you create this amazing Southern inspired dish. I think we were talking about it being slightly Southern, slightly was it Jamaican, slightly Mexican. Mexican. This amazing dry rub that you put on, was it chicken thighs? Mm-hmm. You roasted them, very tender, juicy, perfectly cooked. But the star would have to be what you call drop biscuits. And this is a new term I've never heard of before, but I'm not much of a connoisseur of Southern cooking. And I've traveled through my career, through Charlotte and Fayetteville, down to Augusta, Savannah, but drop biscuits. Can you tell me a little bit about where that came from in your repertoire and this amazing savory white sausage gravy? It didn't have the typical breakfasty type of essence. Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the inspiration and where all this came from. It's funny because I tend to, I happen to have, I have a little cheat sheet. I know what I like in it, but I want to make sure that I get it right. That I get the, because I, I don't write anything down. I basically follow it, a, a recipe that I take off the internet and just for the proportions. And then I change everything. So drop biscuits are basically just that. You make this dough, but it's not really a dough. Because it's super dry. It was as if right. you crumbled up a drywall and it was this like flaky, crumbly type of concoction and i happened to catch 
you um, ladling them into the muffin tin. And I was like, Steve, there's no way that thing's going to bake and be moist and delicious. And I was proven wrong. That thing was absolutely incredible. I like them. It's not really a tin. It's a cast iron. Okay. So it's, I found, I don't know where it came from, but I like cast iron. I do a lot of things <laughs> at cast iron. When I take seasonings and toast them, I use cast iron. When I do a lot of things, I make Dutch babies. Do you ever have a Dutch baby? All right. That's on the, that's on the list for dessert for next week. <laughs> I make Dutch babies. I use cast iron. So somewhere along the line, I was in some store and I found a cast iron pan for biscuits that had little circles of biscuit holders. It's like, wow, because I make them drop. They're drop biscuits. You're like, you take flour, two cups of flour, one tablespoon. I use two of baking powder. So that gives you the rise. You have to make sure you use enough salt. Use one and a quarter to one and a half teaspoons of of salt. But so now you put this in there, you, you sift it all together like you do a good baker does it. And then after you sift it, it mixed everything together well. I don't really sift it. I mix it up with a spoon to the extreme. Then, so those are your dry portions. Then you take them ice cold. I sometimes take them out of the freezer. Today I didn't. Ice cold stick of butter, and you cut it up into little pieces. And you stir it into the flour, much like you're laminating, but you don't laminate. Mm. And what you do is, as that butter begins to melt, you stir the, the flour and that flour sticks to the butter. And you create these little butter crumbles. And for some reason, that makes it fluffier. So now you have this mixture. I like a little sweetener in mine. Some people put sugar. I put honey. Every recipe, you look for drop biscuits out there. Nobody does any of that. But you, it's just such a difference. I put honey in. I put as much honey as I think is needed. I don't know how many. Three tablespoons, two tablespoons. And then milk. You can use regular milk. You can use buttermilk. I tend to use half milk, half cream. I think the cream makes it a little stickier together. It's a little thicker. Use anywhere from three quarters of a cup to a cup. And this time I used a cup and a quarter because I thought it was a little dry, just like you did. And it, it makes, when you mix it all together, and you can't over mix it. Because you just want to get the flour hydrated. So you're folding it in on each other. If you mix it too much, it's going to be tough. Same thing as too much gluten. So because you're turning it, turning on the gluten. It works the same way with cakes. I know no one knows that, but it works the same way with cakes. So you mix it all together. And once it's together, you let it sit a little bit. Because the butter's going to melt a little bit. And then the, the flour is going to hydrate a little bit more. And then it becomes this light, fluffy thing. It looks dry. It's not. Not at all. This right. thing was piping hot, moist, steaming when you tear it open. And it, it looked like a miniature cauliflower head. Or uh, It reminded me of something like a freshly baked Yorkshire pudding. But it was biscuits. And right next to the, the pan, we have this glorious sausage-studded white gravy okay and that was the highlight i really enjoyed it can you tell me a little bit more about the, uh, the sausage gravy so sausage gravy is traditional southern thing i remember the first time i had it i was driving to florida and 
We stopped in South Carolina. Every Bojangles, every Waffle House, right? Waffle House has great ones. Absolutely. And I said, holy mackerel, this stuff is great. It'll kill you. <laughs> it thickens your blood, but it's great. And I thought to myself, I hate breakfast sausage. I don't know anybody that really likes breakfast sausage. Is that because of the sage? I don't know why, but I don't really like mm-hmm. it, especially in food. I don't mind it with eggs, but I don't really like it in food. And I don't really like it for breakfast. I like it for, for breakfast. Dinner. Breakfast. What about, let's say, maple syrup breakfast sausages? Is that something that you dislike or? I think there's too much going on. Okay. I, I think the thing about Southern cooking is it's straightforward. I think it's simple and it's straightforward and it's made with people, with, with things that people have in their house. You know what I mean? Accessible, like, but used correctly. Correct. With purpose. So there you take, and this is interesting. So I used Italian sausage. I'm, I'm sure every household in South Carolina has Italian sausage in their house. <laughs> but in my house, that's what we had. So that's why I, I originally used it. Because I used to want to cook something. I love to cook, but I didn't do it that often. And the and, key to Italian sausage is the finocchio, the fennel. Yeah, that's right. And I, we had Italian sausage, so... I substituted it. And what you do is you brown the sausage, and then there's a little bit of fat. Most It's not supposed to be so much sausage. No casing, right? You take it, no, out, take thing, it out of the casing. Tear it up. And you tear it up. And you're supposed to use a pound. Most recipes, I use a pound and a half. I'm Italian. <laughs> two, two sausages. Four sausages aren't enough. You need at right. least six or seven. So I brown this sausage. And once it gets browned and there's no pink in it whatsoever, you know, you have the fat in there. And, of course, southern cooking, when you have pork fat, what do you do? You throw two tablespoons of butter in it and give you a lot more. So once that's all melted between the pork fat and the butter, you have this thicker, fatty substance. So what do you do then? You throw flour into it to thicken it up. So you throw a simple roux. I use a third of a cup. You have to be careful. If you have it too hot, it dries out. But don't worry if it dries out because the next thing you're going to do is you're going to add three cups of milk. So I've used milk and cream, but it makes it heavy. And you have to be careful you don't use too much butter because it makes it so buttery you can't eat it. And when you get it, you want to eat a lot of it. So you don't want to make it too buttery. So you take the, the milk, three cups of milk, and you put it in there and you just start stirring and stirring. And you try to, all the flour that may have dried onto the pan, you're stirring it, trying to loosen that up like you would use wine to... Right, you so want to deglaze. Deglaze, deglaze did you, the did pan. Did you first remove the sausage bits, or was that no, all in? No, it's all in there. Uh, everything, another Grandma's recipe. Another Wooden key to southern cooking. Right, right. Everything goes in at once. So the milk goes in there, and as the milk heats up, you put garlic powder, seasoned salt, regular salt, and then black pepper. And I put black pepper, I didn't put enough in. I like a lot of, I like it peppery. I think black pepper, I use the large coarse black pepper because it's, you get it caught in your teeth and it's good. And then you just cook it till it gets thick. And then all those, as you cook it down, all those flavors combine and become into this thick gravy. So as George knew exactly what to do, you could think he was from the South. I don't think he's from the South. And then he ripped the the biscuit open and ladled that that gravy, right, gravy right in the middle of it. And when he opened the biscuit, he was shocked because it was fluffy 
It was hot. It was moist. Because I think he opened it because he thought he needed to put the sauce in there to keep it moist. Well, I was I was looking for a toothpick, right? Just poke and see if it was done. And I opened it up and it was, voila, like it was perfect. Yeah. Then the magic gravy just took it to a whole different level. You can taste the essence of the honey. You can taste the essence of the butter inside the biscuit. And when you pair it with this savory sausage fennel gravy, man, that was really something. And it worked perfectly with the habanero chicken because we all know sweetness and spiciness is a tremendously powerful pairing. And it just so happens that those elements were right there on the plate. We're definitely going to post uh, the recipe and pictures of tonight's dinner. But yeah, please, please make sure you visit our Instagram page, our Facebook page, or the Twitter page, X. Yes. So one last thing about the biscuits and gravy. What I really like, and if I, have, if I make it for breakfast, and I have some friends that make, when they have company at their house that visit them from South America, they make me come over and cook that for 20 people. Rightfully. But what I do for breakfast is that I poach eggs and I drop a poached egg in the middle of the muffin and then pour the sauce over the top. Absolutely. And I poached eggs perfectly like you would poach a hard, like you would cook a hard boiled egg six and a half minutes so that it, the yolk runs into the muffin and the juice. And it's phenomenal. I love it. The perfect sauce. It is. You can't eat too much of it because it's heavy. <laughs> and I'm on a diet, strangely enough. So. That was definitely a treat for today, and I will definitely be thinking about making that on my own and perhaps uh, make it for my kids. I think they would absolutely devour that. I think they would, too. Next week, we're looking at maybe grilled cheese. We're looking at pastrami. Pizza. And yeah, to go with that theme, George has a friend who has a pizza podcast and travels everywhere for pizza, and we'd love to get his views on dough and those kind of things. Just talking about fermentation, hydration, flour quality, gluten, all these things that make a good pizza. And uh, he travels and does competitions across the country. I think Jim would be a fantastic addition to, and probably a nice guest speaker to our podcast, A Better Life. Yep, and also in the future... We were talking about restaurants from Japan, and I have a friend who just got engaged in Japan, and they went to, is it Jaro? Is it pronounced? Jiro. Jiro. Jiro, Jiro yeah, so Sushi. Netflix. And they really, they heard us talking about the best meals we ever had, and, and strangely enough, the one that I mentioned was her father's birthday party. And they listened to George, and so they went there. So we thought it, it would be appropriate for Absolutely. for us to have them on, maybe not next week, maybe the week after, to have them on and let them talk about their experiences. They also got engaged that night, so I wouldn't mind hearing about that too, but halfway around the world. So. Yeah, a Japan trip, a Japan eating trip, that, that is definitely in my wheelhouse. You've, we've spoken about this a few times, but I do eating tours in Japan, and it is a fantastic way to explore Asian cuisine and especially interesting Japanese dishes and cuisines that uh, you normally don't see in our regular restaurant fair. That's a whole independent podcast we can talk about is eating through Japan, eating through Asia, or just eating through different you know corners of the world. 
It's funny because we talked about we talked about doing a few special podcasts, maybe not in the regular turn of events, but no specific length, just about what we want to talk about, even if it's just a few minutes. So that's one of the things I think we're going to do some special ones on 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 eating or whatever. We also George and I started cooking for people, small dinner parties, six and eight. We did one. You heard a little bit about the wine party that we had. We didn't do the wine, but we did all the food. And we've had a lot of people come to us. So we're going to start doing that, we hope, soon. And I'm always I'm always smoking every once in a while. So, so please reach out to us at infobetterlifegs.com or on any of the... Let me go back and... Yeah, that's right. It's right. info at abetterlifegs.com. Correct. And then on 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 Instagram at a better life underscore podcast on X at uh, a better life GS and on Facebook a dot better dot life dot podcast. I'm sorry, no dot for the podcast. I think if you search a better life podcast, you're, you're going to come up with it. There is other better life podcasts. Ours happen to be a better life with George and Steve. I think that's it for today. Sure. Unless there's anything else you want to say. Thanks again for listening to A Better Life with George and Steve. I am George. I am Steve. I hope to hear from you. I hope you're going to listen again. And I hope you're going to subscribe. And I hope you're going to follow. And please get on our mailing list. And take a look at our website, even though it's not done yet. All right. Have a good one. Have a good one.